One of the shows uh, that Rachel and I like to watch sometimes is Ambulance Australia. Uh, there's something, something gripping and awe-inspiring seeing these call takers and, and the paramedics work together urgently to save lives. People who have been seriously injured and often on the, on the brink of death. And, and the fact that these are real stories with real people, it really keeps me on the, on the edge of my seat when I watch it. Um, but I mean, sometimes the patient isn't really that seriously injured, like a guy whose eyes are stinging from pruning a cactus. Uh, sometimes the story ends in, in wonderful joy, uh, like a baby born at home safely, but it was quite sudden, so, so they called the ambulance uh, to, to help in case. But sometimes uh, it's also quite perilous. There was one woman who had a car accident that was quite serious. It was a head-on collision. So she was trapped in the vehicle because it got squashed by the impact. And as we're watching this, there's this suspense and uncertainty hanging in the air. Is she going to be okay? Because she's crying, she's in a lot of pain, and they're busily trying to get her out of the car. I mean, because, we, because it's a TV show, we, we kind of have a sense that she'll probably be okay. But we still want to find out how. How is this woman going to be saved? What was going to be a, probably a normal car trip by all expectations turned out to be quite a dangerous and perilous journey. And the voiceover on the show, one of the paramedics, she's actually saying how it's actually quite important to get her out of the car quickly because she, if she suddenly goes downhill, they can't care for her very well while she's trapped in a car. How will they save her? She can't do anything to save herself. Her life is in the hands of the paramedics and the emergency crew. Well, eventually the firefighters manage to pull the car apart enough, pull off a door, pull out a seat, and they can get her out on a stretcher into the ambulance. And she's taken off to hospital, and we find out at the end of the show that she made a full recovery, praise God, though had a couple of broken bones that took some months to heal. Now, spiritually speaking, you and I were in that type of grave situation, on the brink of death at one point. We were enemies of Christ, powerless to save ourselves and at the mercy of someone to save us. And similarly, before the Apostle Paul met the risen Jesus, he was also heading for destruction and death. He was a character who, as we heard Ash say, no one would expect to be saved. He was clearly an enemy of the Lord Jesus, an enemy of Christ. And if someone remains an enemy of Christ all their days, they, they will be destroyed. So when Jesus met Paul, on that road to Damascus, Jesus yanked Paul off that path towards death and saved him from destruction. In today's passage, Paul tells his story of what happened to him, his salvation and transformation. And I think through Paul's story, we are forced to consider our story. How did Jesus save us? How has he saved us? Well, We'll explore that through the experience of Paul. And so firstly, 
first point of Paul's experience is that Jesus transformed him from a violent persecutor to a faithful servant. That's, that's point one, transforming grace. Come with me to verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Here we see Paul, near, near the end of his life, as, as the product, almost end product, not quite, but almost the end product of Christ's transformation. He, he's an apostle of the living Lord Jesus. He's traveling all around the Roman world, sharing the gospel. Like in a home renovation show, he is the kind of, the brand new, the sparkly looking house. It's, it's almost finished, but especially compared to what it was before, it looks amazing. Paul was previously an enemy of Christ. He says this about his former self. I was a blasphemer. This is verse 13, sorry. I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. This was when his name was still Saul. And he'd been dragging believers off to prison. No one, no one expected him to become a believer. He was directly opposing the purposes of God. And as we learned from our series in Acts this year, earlier this year, the purposes of God cannot be stopped. They will keep going. No opposition can stop the gospel. Imagine a big schoolyard bully who thinks he's pretty good at rugby. And uh, he thinks he's so good at rugby that he wants to get a few mates together and take on an NRL team. (laughs) How foolish, right? Just imagine a bunch of school kids taking on the Tigers or the Roosters. Almost as foolish and ignorant as Saul going up against God. But instead of God just destroying Saul in his path, he shows him mercy. Let's keep going in verse 13. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Saul ignorantly thought that he was doing the world a service by dragging these Christians into prison, but but God in his mercy showed him the truth, showed him that the way of Christ was the way of life. God set him straight, but it, it wasn't comfortable for him. He was blind and hungry and thirsty for three days, but at the end of it, Paul sees how this is God's mercy. And here, God's mercy results in transformation. Verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. No longer is he that unbelieving blasphemer, that violent persecutor, but now he's a loving, faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through an abundant outpour of God's grace. Many of you will remember the drought in 2018 and 2019 when vast areas of country New South Wales received only a fraction of the rainfall they usually did. And so by the end of 2019, grassland paddocks were now just dust, brown plains everywhere. And that was the year when we had those terrible bushfires because everything was just so dry. But in the first few months of 2020, 
the rains came and they came and they just kept coming. God poured out such an abundance of rain that photos from the same spot looked completely different, almost, almost barely recognizable. You see in a photo, before there's a, there's a brown, dusty plain with a graveyard in the front. And then afterwards, just, just three months later, three months is all, all it took. Luscious, green growth, new life everywhere. You can barely even see the graveyard in the second one. This abundant outpour results in such dramatic transformation. And similarly, God pours out his grace in us who believe that we might be transformed. So let me ask you, are you being transformed? Are you more like Christ than you were a year ago? Are you growing more like him day by day and year by year? Does your spiritual life look more like the brown one or the green one? And where do you want to be? Well, if we are spiritually dry or stagnating, let's drink in the rain. God readily pours out his grace into us like streams of living water. I'm sure I'm not alone in this, that there are times when I have felt spiritually flat dry. There are times when instead of love, what you see in conversations is is anger. Or there are times when I err towards pride or, or even despair instead of hope and trusting in God. And these times, they often happen to be, what a coincidence, the same times when I'm most patchy in Bible reading and prayer. If I'm not drinking in God's living water, of course I'm going to be thirsty. It's no surprise that I'll be spiritually dry. So when we feel flat and dry, when we notice we're less loving or less faithful, let's draw near to God in his word and prayer. Soak up that grace that he pours out in abundance. Even just this week, just reading that first sentence of our passage today, Thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. Right? He, he gives us strength to be faithful in what he calls us to. That lifted me up this week. Let's drink in his grace continually so that we might grow in faith and love. So that's point one, the transforming grace of Jesus. Now, point two is about the saving mercy of Jesus. And it comes with an exclamation mark. Paul Paul introduces it in this way that he sometimes uses in his letters. Verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. What Paul is about to say is important. He's saying, pay attention, listen to this. You don't want to miss this. What I'm about to say is trustworthy and true. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This is the Christian gospel that many of us have heard many, many times. Christ Jesus, the eternal Son of God, entered the world to save sinners, sinners like Paul, sinners like you and I. Jesus came to save sinners, not the righteous, 
And he even came to save the worst of sinners. There's hope for the worst of sinners. Jesus came to save people who deserve to be condemned. People who were enemies of God. People who have no other hope. There's something humbling, even perhaps embarrassing, about being in this helpless state and then being rescued. To think that Jesus died for me, that my failures are the reason he came to earth, it it makes me a bit ashamed, embarrassed. I remember having a similar feeling of embarrassment uh, the first time I ever went skiing. I was about 12 years old. I went with a friend and his parents down to Fredbo. And, you know, we were young and it was the first time, so my friend and I spent most of the day on, on Friday flat. And by the name, you can probably tell that's the, that's the beginner section. It's not very steep at all. But after lunch, we were feeling adventurous, and so we took our chairlift up a bit higher, quite a bit higher. And after getting off the chairlift, the first little bit was pretty fun. Yeah, it was a bit steeper, but it was okay. But then, very soon, we reached a spot where, to me, it looked like the edge of a cliff, right? It was a lot steeper than Friday Flat. It was much, much too steep for me. And so my friend, who's, who was just naturally more athletic and better than I, he zoomed off ahead of me, and, and I'm left at the top trying to build up the courage to get down this slope. And I, I did try a few times, but I kept falling over, skis falling off, and, and I just, I began to despair. I thought that I might never get down to the bottom of the mountain, never get back to the car. I'd be stuck on this mountain and never see my family again. So I actually started, I I picked up my skis and I started hiking back up the hill because in my mind I thought my best chance of survival was to walk back up to the chairlift and get the chairlift back down. Very, a very kind man. What are you doing? He stopped and said, what, what are you doing? Are you all right? And he, uh, he called a wave down ski patrol to help. And eventually, uh, little Andrew was wrapped up like a burrito and put in one of these slide stretches. <laughs> and uh, so here I go down the mountain, two ski patrol guys carrying this, this little boy down the mountain back to safety. All of this just because I got myself into this, you know, hopeless situation and wasn't, wasn't able to help myself, save myself. It's probably one of my more embarrassing stories, so feel the privilege that you've heard it today. But th- this is a bit like what Christ does for us. In our helplessness, we, we can't do anything. It's not like a tandem bike where he's on the front and we're on the back, we're doing half the work. Christ carries us to safety. We do nothing but cling to him. Christ came into the world to save sinners. So there's no room for pride. Even as we grow more mature in Christ, even as we grow in understanding of God's grace, we also come to a greater understanding of our own sin. As John Newton, the the writer of Amazing Grace, said, 
I know two things, two convictions. I am a great sinner, but Christ is a greater saviour. And perhaps this is what Paul had in mind when he says, I am the worst of sinners. Sure, he was a a particular sinner. He dragged Christians into prison. He persecuted the church very seriously. But, But in what sense was he the worst of all? Well, perhaps it is that now near the end of his life, he has come to a very great, a greater awareness of his own sin, much more than his awareness of others' sin. And I think as we grow in the grace and knowledge of God, we also ought to grow in knowledge and awareness of how deep our sin is. You know, in in Paul, in this passage, we see great humility. Because every time you see the letter I, the word I, all of them point to his own sin or to God's grace. Have a look. Verse 13, sorry, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus. Verse 13, I was a blasphemer and persecutor, but I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance. Verse 15, I am the worst. Verse 16, again, I was shown mercy. There's no room for pride amongst saved sinners. There's also no room for despair. Because if Jesus can save Paul, Jesus can save the worst, any, any sinner, the worst of sinner, Jesus can show mercy to and does. There is hope for the worst of sinners. Jesus can save a wretch like you or me. This true and trustworthy saying drives out despair and it brings hope. Just like my despair turned to hope, when those ski patrol guys turned up, our despair turns to hope. When when we realize that Christ, he's always ready to show mercy. No matter how sinful someone is, they are never beyond the mercy of God. Even Hymenaeus and Alexander we see at the end. They're troublemakers in Ephesus. Paul hands them over to Satan, i.e. he kicks them out of the church. Why? Why? to be taught not to blaspheme. That the intention behind kicking them out, yet it's one, to protect the church, but also that they might learn the folly of their ways, repent of their sin, and be restored by the grace of Jesus. Just as Paul was a blasphemer, but was saved and transformed, maybe maybe these two blasphemers could also be saved and transformed. No one is beyond God's mercy. Think of someone you don't right now expect to become a Christian. Maybe a colleague, maybe a family member, maybe a bully from your high school. One of uh, Rachel's sisters as a child, she prayed for their auntie every single night for about seven years that she might become a Christian until God saved her and she came to Christ. And and now, Rachel's auntie, she's a faithful servant of Christ in her family and in God's church. Anyone can receive God's mercy and be saved. So may we persist in prayer and and in making the most of gospel opportunities for those people we just thought of who we don't expect 
to become Christians. Christ came into the world to save sinners. But why? Why on earth would Jesus do that? Let's go to verse 16. But for this, that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Jesus saved Paul, the worst of sinners, to display his immense patience, to pour out his abundant grace so that all might know his saving grace and how good and how, how, how right he is and so that more might receive eternal life. And, and so, so Paul, this flows on, this explodes for Paul into explicit praise. Verse 17, Now the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Eternal praise for the eternal God, for his gift of eternal life. This is the right response to salvation. Worship. This passage is actually bookended with thanks and praise. You know, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. And here at the end of Paul's section, honor and glory to him who saved me. Because this story, it's, it's not really about Paul. It's about God's grace and mercy to Paul. Paul's salvation and transformation turns into praise and glory for the one who saved and transformed him. So by God's grace and mercy, he saved Paul, the worst of sinners, and made him his faithful servant. So those are the first two points from Paul's story. Transforming grace and saving mercy. And now we turn to our third point, fighting faith, from Paul's command to Timothy. Verse 18, come with me to verse 18. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So like Paul, Timothy has been saved by grace and, and been appointed as a servant of Christ. Paul gives Timothy this command in accordance with these prophecies. And I think this indicates that both Paul and the church community see Timothy as appointed by God for this role. And what's Timothy to do in this role? Continuing in verse 18. That you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. So Timothy's going into battle. The spiritual war, the spiritual battle of gospel ministry, of growing God's church. And I think we can learn similarly as Timothy did, about what it means to continue faithfully and fight the good fight. So how do we do it? Faith and a good conscience. We find that these two are together as buddies a few times in this book. First time last week in verse 5. We also see uh, in chapter 4, I think, um, keep a close watch on your life and doctrine. These, these seem to be key things for faithful Christians to have. On one hand, true belief doctrine, faith, and a godly life, good conscience. Because a good conscience helps us to live a godly life by speaking to us 
you know, that voice in our heads sometimes, but about what's right and wrong. As believers, our consciences are trained by God's Word and by the Holy Spirit. But when we ignore and reject our good conscience, perhaps we, we shut it in the back room and, and, you know, oh, we're saved by grace. I think this will be okay. We, even, even with an inkling that something might not be a good idea, sometimes we can just not listen to that conscience. Shut it in the back room. And as a result, we become less sensitive, less aware of what is good and bad. And this can open up the door for habitual sin to become part of our lives. And once sin comes in the door and sets up camp in the spare room, it can take over. It can destroy our faith. You know, we might think that we're quite rational and logical that our beliefs, yeah, we're, we're really strong in our beliefs and practices, they don't matter as much. They'll, they'll fall in line with our beliefs. But I think the reality is that our practices have an enormous influence and power over our beliefs. There, there might be people like this in your life. There are two people in my life, a, a close friend and a family member, who called themselves Christians 15 years ago. But then they started adopting a worldly lifestyle in different ways. One, one of them pursued drugs and sex outside of marriage. Another, the other entered a same-sex relationship. And then after they'd already adopted these life choices, that after they'd already rejected their good conscience, shut them in the back room and invited sin to kind of camp out in their house, Only after that did the questions of faith come up, the doubts and questions about Christian belief. Because sin came into their lives and began to destroy whatever faith they had. And today their faith is shipwrecked. So be on your guard, BPC. Sin is crouching at the door and wants to have you. He wants to take over your faith and destroy it. So don't shut your good conscience in the back room, perhaps thinking that by grace you have a license to to play with sin. But instead, fight the good fight of faith. Hold firm to the true and trustworthy gospel and be alert to the deceitfulness of sin. But in all this, bear in mind that it's not all up to you. As I mentioned before, Christ Jesus strengthens us from verse 12. He strengthens us to be his faithful servants. Having saved you by his mercy and transformed you by his grace, Christ enables us by his spirit to fight the battle well. So fight it well. I'll finish with a story of a Christian who has fought his battle well. Uh, Here's a picture of Joe, and he's from our He's from our former church in Canberra. How about that moustache? Anyway, Joe is 102 years old. Uh, he had believed in the gospel at 17 years old, but when he was 25, he fought in World War II. And at one point, he was shot in the head, well, in the helmet, I should say, three times by a sniper. One, one went in the top and then out the back. 
one through that hole that you see on the side and then around and out the other side and then one, one bounced off. And, and Joe was thankful to God for this escape. He saw it as miraculous and he saw it as a wake-up call for him. Joe felt he wasn't ready to face God and he sensed God speak to him. This is something Joe said in an interview. There was no booming voice from heaven, but it came to my mind. Joe, you have no right to be alive. Give your life to me. So Joe went to India as a missionary for 33 years. He met his wife there at that time. Then he moved to Canberra and served at a church there. And his wife actually passed away about 20 years ago now. So he's been a widower for 20 years, yet he continues to faithfully be part of his local church. When I was there, uh, he was almost always at the Monday weekly prayer meeting. He led in prayer up the front of church regularly, often, often praying earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his harvest field. He, he'd greet you on a Sunday morning with a, a warm smile and a, how are you? He also had dinner regularly with a, an unbelieving family that he'd met uh, through, I think, hospital chaplaincy. And he was such a bold witness in the retirement village where he lived. And this man is an encouragement to me as someone who's been saved by the mercy of God, transformed, and a faithful servant fighting the battle well. So let's ask God that we might also be transformed and fight the battle well, having been saved by his grace. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for your abundant grace and mercy. We pray that you'd help us not to take it for granted. We pray that you would protect us from tolerating sin in our lives. Far be it from us to allow sin to camp out in our spare room. We pray that you'd help us to fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience. And we thank you for giving us strength and enabling us to do this. Please help us to live as your transformed people. In Jesus' name.